Today on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks, I'm with Joe McCambly, Chief Marketing Officer of Sattva, the internet's premier luxury mattress and bedding brand. I'm Kevin Perlmutter, Chief Strategist and Founder of Limbic Brand Evolution, a brand consultancy that taps into emotional insights and applies behavioral science to strengthen connections between brands and people. The limbic system part of our brain supports emotion, motivation, behavior, and memory. And I'm curious about how my guests are creating what I call limbic sparks, which happen when emotional motivation meets brand desire. I love talking with brand leaders who are turning emotional insight into a competitive advantage and driving growth for the brands that they serve. Joe, I'm so happy that you're joining me today and let's talk Limbic Sparks. Thanks for having me, Kevin. What you, do, what you do sounds a lot more complicated than what I do, but I realize that I have to do what you do to do what I do. So. <laughs> I, I think it all focuses on understanding what makes people tick. And I know that you're a big fan of that. Yes. So yes. how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's, um, it's weather's beautiful. Business is good. I have nothing to complain about. That's fantastic. You know, we've gotten to know each other a little bit over the last few months. And uh, one of the things that I can't help noticing about you is how enthusiastic you are. And I'm curious about what are some of those things that spark your interest and get you motivated? Gosh, Kevin, you know, I've, um, I'm, I'm older than the average bear. I've been in marketing for almost 40 years now. And uh, along my, my career trajectory, I've done you know, I started out as a copywriter doing radio, TV, print, got into direct mail, direct response, then into digital marketing. And then I went to AOL and did some platform development and content development, um, had my own design firm for a while. And today, where I am at, at Sattva as the CMO, um, what, what really gets me out of bed in the morning is tap into everything I've learned over 40 years and kind of bring it to bear on one brand. So I spent a lot of years working at agencies and you have a thin slice of a client's business most of the time. Here, I, I, I get to apply everything to everything. And uh, it's, it's, it's a great challenge and it's really exciting. And I wish I had, I wish I had done this 20 years ago because I'm learning things today that would have been really helpful 20 years ago, I think. Well, it's absolutely incredible to see the trajectory and read about the trajectory of your career. And you've kind of been on the cutting edge of, of a lot of things for as long as you've gone. So we're going to get into a lot of that about your career and how you apply that that uh, sort of cutting edge thinking and, and approach to the work that you're doing. But one of the things that I want to know first is, you know, when it comes to the people in your life, your family, your friends, your team, what are some of the things that you value most in those relationships? I'll start, I'll start with family. Um, and, uh, and I'll start with my wife. It's, um, it's, uh, we've been uh, together for 41 years and, uh, it's, it's amazing to, to have a, um, somebody who loves you unconditionally. You know, in, in over 40 years, if you're still together, that's probably the case because there's a lot of negatives that come out. Uh, who support you in, in, in the, the fact that you would like to leave a mark in the world. And, and sometimes when you, you want to focus on leaving a mark in the world, it causes you to ignore some other aspects of your life. And, and for somebody to be with you, to have that level of patience and to still root for you is huge. Um, with my children, it's, uh, you know, you always think when, when you're, as you're thinking about having children, that it's an awesome responsibility that you have to raise them, that you have to teach them. And, and the truth is that uh, they end up teaching you. 
Mm. And, um, and I find that, that with my kids, um, whether it's films or literature or just, just wisdom, um, I am getting more from them than I am imparting to them. And, and maybe that's a fault on my part, but it's, um, it's, it's amazing to, to, to be surrounded. I have five children. It's amazing to be surrounded by, by people that teach you so much and um, who have their own passions for life that are very, very different from yours. And you, you watch them and you think, you know, what I do is not the be all and end all. There's a lot of other amazing choices out there. Yeah. So it, it opens your mind, I think. Wow. Yeah. That is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, my girls are, uh, one's in college and one uh, just started her first full-time job as a teacher in the Bronx. And she's living my dream on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And uh, it's incredible to watch them become who they are meant to be. It's just really cool. It really is. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I want to get to know you even, even more than I've gotten to know you thus far. And, you know, brands, brands bring with them a personality, brands paint a picture of a certain type of experience or lifestyle. And I'm curious, can you describe for me yourself, but do so by naming three to five brands and why they paint a picture of, of who you are? That is such an amazing question. Um, so most of this is going to be aspirational. Um, mm -hmm. you know, because we're all, we're all in the state of, of becoming, I guess. But um, I, one, one of the brands that I value, and this will, this will be controversial probably, is the brand of, of Elon Musk. Um, I think that for, for whatever faults we all identify with him, he is an individual that um, has gone for broke so many times in the interest of advancement of humankind, of innovation, of business, um, and, and, and I love the way that he is going about changing the world, um, on his terms. So I, I you know, I, I often, we, we, I think that, that all of us have some, some desire on some level to be, um, um, immortal, if you will, you know, to, to, to leave the earth and have people remember you as somebody who has made a difference. And, um, very few of us get to do it on a scale of individuals like those levels of innovators like the Steve Jobses of the world or the Elon Musks of the world. Um, but, but I admire him and, and his personal brand. And because of that, I admire some of the brands like SpaceX and Tesla mm -hmm. um, that, that have made a difference in my life. Um, if there's a second brand, of course, the easy one is, is Apple. I mean, I, I think a lot of us probably aspire to be more like Apple, but you know, from the time that they um, started talking about thinking different I've, I've always hoped to be the kind of person that not just thought differently, but thought differently in a way that matters and, and helped to improve the world. Um, and when I, when I think of those, those products that, that Apple tends to bring to the world that, um, you know, I remember the first time I used the iPhone, how, how just delightful it was. I mean, it's, it's, it, it was like magic. Yeah. And um, I, I think many of us hope to have that same kind of impact when you meet another human being, you want them to, to have that same sense of joy that they've met this new person in their life that is, is hopefully on some level um, going to, to make their life better, right? And I guess if there's a, if there's a third, um, and, and it's a, it, it, it would be probably um, why I would kind of lump, lump Airbnb 
and Uber together, you know, where they had become verbs. Something I've said often in my life is that uh, brands that help sell and brands that sell don't. And I think that when you look at an, an Airbnb or an Uber, the monumental changes that they had to make in this world to be successful, where yes, yes, they made, made a lot of money. I understand that. But they are, they are two of the most instantly helpful brands I have ever encountered in my life, where I remember the first time just, just using Uber. And like I said, you hit a button, they find you, they take you, you get out of the car, you have nothing transactional to do. Um, they, they do their best to help you and please you. Uh, which is something that I aspire to do with, with everybody I meet as well. So I would, I would say those are two brands that are big as well. When I think about them from the perspective of how they paint a picture of you and the types of choices you make in your career and the types of uh, things that you, att- you, you, know, you, you try to do for your own brand's customers, it's very aspirational and it's, it's a high bar to reach, but there is no higher bar to reach. It's amazing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the way to be thinking about things, breakthrough categories, incredible simplicity and intuitiveness, and just you know changing the world in ways beyond imaginable. Um, all of those brands have done some of that in one part or another, which is, is a really w- neat way to think about your role in your career and, and how you go about your life. You know, I know you've been on the cutting edge of branding and marketing for most of your career. You started out as a copywriter, um, and then you started moving into these businesses that were part of the digital transformation of branding and marketing and customer experiences long before those experiences were were mainstream. Um, And you worked at a variety of agencies leading digital marketing and content marketing in digital and direct-to-consumer spaces. Yep. And now, and now you've decided to take that into one role for a brand. Um, and I, I suspect you had many considerations and a variety of choices. And, and you chose Sattva, which is a, a brand that's in a transformational moment in an industry that is being disrupted by brands like, like yours. Can, can you share a bit about your role and, and what you're responsible for and what inspired you beyond what I just said to join? Yeah. Well, let me, let me go back to the biggest mistake I made with regard to Safra. So in, um, I had my own design firm in New York from 2005 to 2015. And in, in 2009, the CEO of Sattva, Ron Rudson, uh, came to visit with us at, at my agency. It was called the Wonder Factory in New York. And he wanted to talk about starting uh, a direct-to-consumer mattress brand and to find out if we were interested in in, in doing work for them. And for a variety of reasons, we, we mutually agreed that it wasn't right for us to start working with them um, at that time. And that, that was a big mistake because honestly, there was a part of me when he left my offices where I thought, ah, I just don't know if I could ever buy a mattress without, without trying it first. And I, I thought of myself as the innovative marketer that would try to do things that had never been done before. And I had this opportunity with an experienced entrepreneur who wanted to do something that had never been done before. And I didn't have the courage to do it. Hmm. And um, I, I look back on that day and it, it bums me out. So we, we kept in touch over the years and I finally was able to, to come back and, and run Rudson, our CEO graciously brought me back in. Um, it's, it's such an, an interesting, I hope this will be interesting to your listeners, but um, Sattva, you know, we started in about 2009. We were the first ones to sell mattresses direct to consumers over the internet online. 
And for from the period of 2009 or 10 till 2014 or so, there was no competition. So uh, Sattva grew on the back of paid search. You, you, you go to the internet, you do a search for what's the best mattress in New York City. And because Sattva was virtually the only mattress brand advertising, that's where you would discover them. And the business grew pretty much unfettered for years. There are no limbic sparks formed through a search ad. It's, you need a mattress, we have a mattress, come buy from us and you buy from us. In 2014, um, brands like <clears throat> Casper, Purple, Lisa, Nectar, Tough the Needle, over 200 other brands <clears throat> opened their doors and started selling online. And, and they, they make a different product. If you're a, a Casper, you, you make a memory foam mattress and you compress it and then you, you fold it and put it in a box and you can ship it to somebody's doorstep via FedEx or UPS. So the products are different. Ours are luxury mattresses that we deliver home and we take away your old bed. Despite the fact that the products are so different, everybody calls their product a mattress and everybody participates in Google search auctions. So we saw the cost of search starting to skyrocket. Um, we expanded our marketing into affiliates. So affiliates are online mattress review and recommendation sites. And we built some trusted partnerships with affiliates so that we were in the search auctions and then we we're also marketing through affiliates and they would recommend that people come to us. Um, but even then it was, it was the, you know, the affiliates that were making consumers want us. We weren't necessarily doing that ourselves. We had a pretty good site, don't get me wrong. But at that point of first contact, the affiliates probably did a better job of building an emotion around our brand than we did through paid search. More recently, because search and affiliate marketing has gotten so expensive, we've realized that we have to kind of what we call move up the funnel. And um, so today, if, if you do a search from, for best mattress, there's probably an 80 to 90% probability that you'll discover our brand as part of that search, either because of our search ads or an affiliate search ad, but you won't have a preconceived belief about us. So you may go to our site based because you saw us in search on an affiliate site, but because you know Serta better or you know Casper better or you know Sealy Simmons and Stearns and Foster better, your instinct is to trust them before you trust us because you just heard of us. So it was in about 2017 that we felt we have to make an emotional connection with consumers before they get to the point of search, before they encounter us in search. It's important for us to have them believe something about us so that when they click on that search ad and come to our site, even though they may not be able to remember all the details around our brand, they have some sort of muscle memory or belief or in intuition that we're trustworthy. And in the absence of the facts they need to make a purchase right there, they'll persist with us on the site, maybe for a few pages or a few minutes, and then eventually they'll be more likely to buy from us. So that's 2017 and 2018 is when we first decided that you know, I think what you would say is we had to make some sort of Olympic connection, some sort of Olympic spark in the minds of consumers so that they could trust us and believe in us in the absence of all the data because a mattress is a considered purchase and it often takes 60 days of research for a consumer to make that choice. So a lot of the work that I'm doing now, um, I would say in the past year, my marketing team consists of, of close to 40 people and most of us have been immersed in the past year on understanding the emotion that drives a consumer to buy a mattress. And, and how, do you, how do you buy one mattress when there are literally 250 other brands to choose from just selling online? So we're looking at things like, does more emotional advertising work than more rational advertising? And it's a, 
it's a very rational purchase. When you make a, when you buy a mattress, there's, there's 13, 14, 15 different facts that you have to consider before you make that purchase. But it's also a very emotional purchase because when you buy online, you don't get to try before you buy. You're trusting this mattress to come into your home and that, that you're going to like it. So you have to believe in it. So we're looking at rational versus emotional. We're looking at long-term messaging. Even if we talk to a person a year before they buy, can we create a strong enough connection in their mind, a strong enough bond with us such that when they finally do decide they need a mattress and they encounter us in search, that they're going to be willing to buy, to look at us deep, more deeply because they have some sort of memory that they've heard of us or dealt with us in the past. We're looking at different channels like is, is TV better for building an emotional connection than online video or social better for building a, a, an emotional connection because that's where so many people get their news and, and advice from their friends these days. So the, there's a huge research component of marketing today that I guess has always existed um, but when, when you're with a company that has grown up as what we call our performance marketer, you do search marketing or affiliate marketing, taking 10 years of habit of getting that immediate result from a search ad and making an investment in long-term emotional messaging that makes people feel something about you and believe something about you, it's almost an unnatural act. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing now, what my team is focused on doing now is the kind of research that will support that building of the emotional psychological connection with consumers, almost not only as, as a way for us to decide where to spend our marketing dollars, but as a way to educate the leadership of the company so that they trust that we're spending their money wisely because we're not getting an immediate return on our investment in search today. We're spending on say TV or online video that might take 90 to 120 days to return the investment. So anyway, it's, I'm involved with all aspects of marketing, whether it's performance marketing or say aware, what most people would call awareness building marketing, but there's also a heavy research component to it. And because we are performance marketers, we like to prove that every dollar we spend um, has a return on investment that we can measure. So there's an incredibly strong analytics component as well. So we're, as we're shifting our spend from these performance channels to the upper funnel awareness channels, we're testing and learning as quickly as we can so that we're making the right investments along the way. There's a lot of brands in the mattress space that have grown their brands quickly and have really strong awareness, but they're losing money because they weren't mindful that they had to take care of business at the same time. And what role is research playing in all of this? I, I know you're actively doing mm -hmm. different types of research. I'm curious, are there certain research techniques or or um, approaches that you're finding are, are, are shedding the most valuable insights? There really are. Um, you know, like, like, like everybody for a while, we were doing say Google surveys, you know, how did you hear about us and why did you buy us? And, and what, what I've learned as part of that process is that it's, um, people often don't know why they did what they did and they, they have trouble articulating it and they tend to articulate it based on the choices that you give them. So um, yeah. you have a very limited consideration set when you're driving that conversation that way and, and they don't really remember why they care about you or why they bought from you. We, we, we worked with sentient decision sciences and they have a way of doing um, research. They call it subtext research where you can, you can expose a consumer to an experience or a series of experiences and then um, after they go through that experience, usually this is over a mobile phone, um, 
they'll, they'll hit the consumer with rapid fire terms related to your brand or what the experience they went through. And it's up to the consumer to swipe away if they disagree or swipe toward them if they agree. And what Sentient will do is um, not only do they look at what where people are swiping away or swiping toward themselves, they also um, look at how long it takes a person to decide to swipe away or swipe toward them. And that gives them a sense for how strong the consumer's emotion is. And, and I would say that since we started working with Sentient about a year ago and understanding the subtext, you know, what's, what's really in the consumer's head that even they can't explain, um, the predictability of the outcomes of the advertising that we're putting in market has, has gone up by about 20X. It's been amazing uh, to understand that what consumers feel about an experience and what they like and what they don't like. And the other thing that Shenzhen is able to help us with is, you know, you can look at how a consumer is reacting emotionally to your, say, 30-second TV spot. You know, they'll, they'll show you a video of your 30-second TV spot and they'll show the consumer's engagement, their happiness, their sadness, their connection or disconnection. And you can see where within your creative you've either done a great job or, or, or maybe where you've, you've blown it. And um, that, that has changed our, our approach dramatically. The other thing we do, of course, is, you know, so that, that's how we, we understand how consumers are reacting. But then we also look at, um, we do a lot of media mix modeling. It's called MMM, where you'll do a two or three year look back on every dollar you spent against every tactic and every channel to see what had the strongest impact on your same market share or revenue and profitability. And the combination of understanding what it is that gets consumers to react positively or negatively emotionally to our, to our advertising, um, cross-reference with the media mix modeling, gives us a really strong story about what tactics and what channels are resonating strongest emotionally with consumers. And that's, that's changed the way we've viewed marketing and, and our consumers, honestly, um, over the past year or so. It's, it's really awesome to hear about how you're merging data like that with, with the this kinds of decisions that you need to make and that you're actually seeing those results. And yeah. the work that you do with Sentient is, sounds fascinating. And I have some friends there as well, and I've done some work with them, and I'm a big fan of, of their offering and, and the uh, types of capabilities that you're describing. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, really, it's really fantastic that that's proving to be so valuable to you and your effort. Uh, you know, you, you once said to me that it's important for, um, for marketers and brand mm -hmm. leaders to champion things that become customer-wide efforts in terms of how employees of an organization approach the customer rather than focusing on one-off ad campaigns and promises. Can you, can you share a bit about what you meant by that and how that impacts the work that you're doing? I can, Kevin. Um... So um, when, I, when I was first hired at Sapta, um, we knew that at some level we'd have to move up the funnel and do brand advertising. So of course that means you have to understand who your brand is and what it stands for. Um, I, I'm a strong believer that, that brands are like people. Um, you know, um, you, you have very close friends that have had hundreds or thousands of interactions with you. And every one of those interactions have either left them feeling better about you, worse about you, or maybe, maybe neutral. I'm assuming for you, it's always better, right? Um, and I think brands are the same way. We, we, we tend to, I think we as marketers often look at a brand like Coca-Cola and we say, oh, it's a, the red can with the silver script. That's that brand. And that's not the brand at all. 
The brand is the sum total of the thousands of experience that I've had with Coca-Cola over the years. So I, I like to think of brands like people. And um, I think if, if, you know, we, I use the example of our, our CEO, Ron Rodson. Like if I were going to describe Ron the way most people describe brands, I'd say, oh, he's a, he's a white guy in his 50s. He lives in Westport, Connecticut, and he likes uh, BMWs and, and uh, sports. And that, that describes 70% of the men living in Westport, Connecticut, right? So you don't really get a flavor for what Ron is like. But when I tell you that um, Ron uh, still plays basketball on weekends with guys that he met in third grade, um, that will give you this sense of the kind of a loyal friend he is. And, and if I told you stories of the way he treats his employees, you would get the sense that that same loyalty that he shows to his friends is shown to his employees. We did the same thing with, with Sattva. We asked um, our employees, our customers, our business partners to tell stories about the brand. We also looked at about 1,800 online reviews, both positive and negative, because those are usually, I think, you know, if, if I ask you to tell me a story about Sattva, chances are you're going to want to please me on some level because we're face-to-face. -face. But people are writing mattress, you know, reviews of brands in their underwear at 2 in the morning, and they just want to tell the truth so that others can avoid their mistakes or, or, or get the goodness that they experience. So we also looked at, at, at customer reviews. It was amazing to me how many stories I heard about the Sattva customer service representatives, the phone salespeople. So we have about 80 people. We have a 24 seven customer service. There were so many stories where you would learn that our customer service reps, they do the right thing even when nobody's looking. You know, after they had a particularly good experience with the customer, they would send a handwritten thank you note to that customer, whether they bought or not, to thank them for brightening their day. And, and like I said, there are so many stories about that. As we came out of that study, um, because our CSRs are isolated in a separate building from the rest of the employees, I had the feeling that they are, they are the essence of our brand and they are teaching consumers who we are and what we stand for and why they would want to do business with us. But that wasn't always reflected in the advertising that we were doing or in our site experience or in the way we even treated each other as employees at Sattva. So as we finished up our brand strategy and understood why consumers loved us, we then had to internalize it. That's our brand. This is how we treat each other. And so you know, over the past two or three years since that brand study has been done, we, we do a lot of talking about how we treat each other, how we know that we're dealing with good intentions, how incumbent it is upon us to teach other people in other departments so that we can all get smarter together. So, um, you know, it, it, it's not just words on a page that is your brand strategy. It's how you live your lives as human beings dealing with other human beings, because we're the human beings that are going to create the thousands of experience that people have with us that add up to that person that is thoughtful. And it sounds like um, there needs to be a degree of flexibility in what your employees um, are able to accomplish, um, the autonomy that they have to make things happen. And I suspect that goes from the CSR employees all the way into the people in your marketing team and your product development team. So I'm, I'm curious about innovation and how you inspire your team to try things that might be really big ideas, but there's no current measurable KPIs to guide them. How do you, how do you balance that? That's, that's the 
I would say the biggest challenge we have, Kevin, and, and the biggest opportunity. So um, one of the differences between Safa and say other mattress brands, other mattress brands, oftentimes if you, you'll see TV ads and somebody will say, I graduated from college last year and I couldn't find a good bed. So I started a mattress company. Um, <laughs> that's not Safa. So our, one of our original founders um, uh, is, is in his late 70s. And uh, he's been around a long time. Another original founder is in his late 60s, another in his late 50s, and then we have two that are in their 30s. Um, so there's, it's a cross-generational approach. Um, the, the three older founders have been in retail for a long time, running retail stores uh, before they ran an online mattress brand. And they know what they know, and they've got a lot of experience that tells them what's right in the world. Then we have the younger founders that know what they know, and they see how technology can enable things. And then we have a, a bunch of senior and mid-level employees that have deep experience across the board in other industries. And everybody comes to Safa with really strong feelings about how things should be done. And, and I think there was a time, especially maybe two or three years ago, when if a new employee tried something that the rest of us had never seen before, it was like whack-a-mole. Like, no, that's not the way you do it. Because... I've been in retail for 50 years and this is the way you do it. And so from a marketing standpoint, um, and, and like I said, it's, it's the biggest challenge because we're, we're not as close to doing this as I need us to be. It's, it's kind of defining your, your employees' roles as, as, as specifically as you can so that they know what they have to get done but tactically giving them the freedom to make mistakes. And I know we all talk about mistakes and failing fast, um, but it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to let your employees make choices, win or lose, learn from it and move on. And um, that, that's what we've been trying to do on the marketing team. We've brought in a lot of new people lately, um, a lot of people from different cultures and different backgrounds, very few from the mattress industry. And um, we've given them budgets, We've let them know what the brand stands for. And we've tried to say to the extent that we can now go forth and, and do what you believe is the right thing to do. Um, keep within your budget and uh, keep within the brand. And, and that now you get a chance to invent. I want to ask a few, uh, a few short answer questions. Why, why do you think some brands are still neglecting the power of emotional insights in their approach to growing their business? I think there's a couple of reasons. One is because they've probably seen great results with rational advertising. So especially, um, you know, I, I think since the turn of this century, when we became more sophisticated with our ability to deliver customized experiences on the web, when mobile apps became so important to people and they, they deliver something immediately to you that you need, we've all become conditioned to believing that um, rational appeal and quick responses are really what matters most to consumers. And I think a lot of brands, as you can expect, would over-index on that. And I think what's happening is that all of the brands that over-index on rational thought and immediacy, we're all doing the same things. And so, you know, what, what happens is consumer expectations of the rational and immediate returns become ubiquitous. And you don't necessarily differentiate yourself when you're always delivering on those rational appeals because everybody has the same tools. Everybody has the same technology. Now consumers, I think, as much as they did say before the internet, 
are looking to brands that behave in ways that they believe in. Um, and I think you're, you're probably going to see a trend. You know, I think this is a good time for you to be um, an entrepreneur, Kevin, because I think especially where you are, more and more brands are learning that um, emotional appeals deliver rational results, that long-term planning delivers short-term results. Um, and, and I think you're going to see more and more brands working to strike a balance between the rational and emotional with an understanding that the emotional is a lot more powerful than we ever gave it credit for. What's the best way to go about creating what I call limbic sparks, these moments when emotional motivation meets brand desire? Put yourself in a mindset where you can, at least for a period of time, maybe for six months, ignore what you believe is conventional wisdom. Put yourself in a place where you can believe that at least some of the things that are truths to you maybe aren't truths anymore. Go to people other than yourself or your, your echo chamber in marketing, read the research, read the literature, try to find objective research that is fact-based and data-based and try to start reforming your opinions based on this new knowledge and, and start questioning your own assumptions and your own conventional wisdom. So that, that's the first step. The first step to embracing emotion is to being open to the possibility that it's a smart thing to do and, um, and then being open to learning how others have used emotion to find success. And I think if you, anybody does that, there's a wealth of research and data out there. Now, I'm not suggesting that people say, go to LinkedIn and read a bunch of opinion pieces or go to Medium and read a bunch of opinion pieces. I'm saying that if you commit yourself to really looking at, in many cases, university-based research, you'll learn that long-term emotional appeals deliver short-term results better than short-term tactics. Is there something that you wish you knew years ago that other brand leaders could learn from you? There's something that you're doing now that you're just like, wow, if I would have known that a long time ago, things would have been a little bit better along the way. Honestly, Kevin, I, I, th I think of this question almost every day now. And I know I told you it before in the run-up to this that I wish I knew 20 years ago what I, what I know today it would have changed the trajectory, trajectory of, of my career. Um, I guess, I guess in, in that light, I would say, um, I, always, I always thought that I was committed to learning, um, but, but I think I was committed to learning what I already knew. I like to read people that agreed with me, um, and, and I like to uh, reassure myself that what I believe was true. And I, I wish that I had been smarter 20 years ago and embraced alternative ways of thinking. Like I said, university-based research fact-based, data-based that could have informed me with truth and not opinions. Because so much of the research that I'm immersed in now that's teaching me so much started in the mid to late 80s. And I've had access to it since then, but didn't make use of it. And as I've gone through this research and I see how it's formulating our opinions and the tactics we're following, I, I feel pretty good because I know that so much of what we're doing now isn't what other brands would choose to do because it doesn't satisfy what they already believe. Everybody wants to do what they think they know, not what is right. And um, so I, I wish I had learned to embrace alternate ways of thinking about marketing 20 years ago, 30 years ago, instead of today. That sounds like a perfect way to conclude this discussion. 
I, Joe, I am so, uh, so thankful that you joined me on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks. Um, thank you so much for, for this conversation today. Thank you, Kevin. I, I hope this is, um, I hope this will, will be helpful to, to your listeners. I, I am 100% sure it will be. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. For more, go to limbicsparks.com.